Welcome to the Ghouls Magazine podcast, a podcast that looks at horror through the female perspective. I'm your host today, Zoe. This week, we're doing something a little bit different because we're venturing into the world of disturbing literature. So for anyone that knows me, I absolutely adore horror books, and especially those that are either absolutely vile or complete mind fucks, which is why today I've managed to wrangle two, two, two gorgeous, gorgeous ghouls so that we can talk all about Tender is the Flesh by Augustina Bazterica. Just before we get into our episode, I do have to remind you that if you love what we do, you love our content, then you can become a member of Ghouls Magazine. It's just $4.99 a month. You get the goods. We stay alive. And it's all fun for everyone. So let me introduce my wonderful guests for today. First up, I have the radiant and the ravenous Belle Morrigan. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. I'm very happy to be on a Ghouls podcast episode. And yeah, I'm excited. Thanks for having me on. And before we get into it, for anyone that doesn't know you, Belle, and they should, and if they don't, rude, um, what do you do? Where can people find you? Like, what's your vibe? Yeah, so um, I'm also dabbling in the kind of podcasting sphere. I'm the host of a podcast called Fishnets and Philosophy, where I mostly just talk about horror and genre films through a queer lens. And then I'm also doing like, you know, online sex work. So I do dabble in porn and stuff like that. And I'm just all around. (laughs) My vibes are very queer and very slutty. (laughs) Those are the vibes that we're fucking here for. I'm sorry, but yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and um, people can mix Bell Morgan across all socials. You'll find me there. My link tree is on everything. And yeah, if you want to find either podcasting or porn, you can find them all through the same place. I say go for both because why not, right? We're all adults here. And then I have the cute and carnivorous Liz Bishop. How are you? What's your vibe today, Liz? Oh, I love that introduction. That's so cute. I am cute, aren't I? Um, you I'm are, not you are. Cute right now. Um, I am on day two of three work days this week, counting down the seconds to break up for Fright Fest. Um, so, yeah, I'm just tired and trying to get through the hours of the day because they're really really dragging at the moment but other than that I'm good I'm excited to talk about this I feel like we've sort of discussed this book a few times in the ghouls group chat and we've been keen to dive into it so I'm very excited to be here 
We have indeed. And just before we get started, for you, Liz, as well, what what else do you do? You know, where can people find you? Again, if people don't know you, then that is also very rude. But do let the listeners know. <laughs> it is very rude. Thank you. Um, so I'm a senior contributor for Ghouls magazine. Um, my most recent piece was an interview with Carter Smith on his new film with Blumhouse, which is just unreal to say out loud. Um, starring Carl Gullner. If you haven't seen it yet, The Passenger, please look out for it. It's brilliant. Please check out the interview. He was really lovely to speak to. Um, I've got a couple of other things coming up in the next couple of months for a couple of other quite well-known outlets. So that's exciting. So look out for that. Um, My Twitter is at kill underscore Lizd, L-I-Z-T. Um, and I post everything there until we get kicked off the bird app and then I'm sure I'll be somewhere else. We'll figure it out, right? At the moment, I'm I'm just avoiding all other social medias. I'm like, not another one, please. I can't. <laughs> yeah. I'm keeping the dream alive with Twitter for now, but we'll see. We shall see. And yes, as you mentioned, Liz, we are talking about Tender is the Flesh today, which I feel like we've been very excited to talk about. Um, And I'm really happy because this is probably like, I'm going to say this is maybe like the fifth time I've read this book and I just absolutely adore it. So I guess before we get into the book itself, I'd love to know a little bit from you both about your history with, you know, kind of these disturbing, maybe a little bit more, let's say edgy, I hate that word, but I'm going to use it, (laughs) edgy books, because, you know, for me, I read a lot of, I mean, honestly, my living room is just fucked up books, and people come over there like, what is Marquis de Sade? I'm like, do not touch that, (laughs) don't even look at that. Um, So yeah, I'd love to know from you both, like, do you read a lot? Like, what kind of books do you like? Do you love disturbing literature? Belle, I don't, I actually don't know much about you and your, your book, book love, book history. Yeah, so it's weird, like, um, like, growing up as, like, very much as, like, a young kid and going into my teens, like, I devoured books. Like, my mom is a, like, devours books like she reads so many books and I picked that up from her and I used to read so much as a kid and then it was like I just I did philosophy as my university degree both like um for my bachelor's and master's and I think it was just like after going through both of those degrees everything that I was reading was obviously not by choice and I think post my degree reading for fun is a hard thing to get back into but once I land on a really good book then it's like I fall back into that trap but yeah my tastes are very varied like I also love you know comic books and graphic novels but when it comes to like actual novels I tend to veer towards like you know supernatural horrors thrillers and um anything that's kind of like you know historical fiction you know in the sense that it's like real people but it's a fictitious version of their story and stuff like that they're the books that I tend to veer towards the most um but yeah and like 
my history with this specific book though was very much just chance it was just I went to the library was I had renewed my library card for the first time about 10 years and I was excited to get books out again and I just walked like going through the aisles I just saw that like the beautiful cover and it was just like oh that looks interesting read the back of it and I was like oh that sounds interesting (laughs) so pick that and then yeah fell in love with it but yeah my taste is varied like my taste in everything (laughs) because like I can't (laughs) I can't choose one thing I'm I'm too greedy (laughs) I absolutely love that your library has this book like I feel like that is I'm like yeah more libraries should stock books where it's like should you have this is this okay for the library to have this book (laughs) and Liz what about you what's your because I actually I know a little bit about your history because there's a couple of books that We've both read and there was one that you suggested to me, which maybe it might be on your suggestion list, which absolutely destroyed me. So I kind of feel like you like horrible books already. So weirdly, um, I am also the same as Bellin that my mum definitely influenced my reading. My mum, as long as I can remember, even as a kid, had books everywhere she's probably on her fifth or sixth kindle because they don't last forever but um yeah i'm the same i sort of i've grown up consuming a lot of books um but strangely enough the main things that we both read is like romance and like especially like smutty romance you know like the dirtier (laughs) side of it um it's it sounds weird to say that my mom got me into those sort of things but it's true she was like you know obviously when I was younger I didn't know that that was what she was reading they just looked like <laughs> romantic books um but you know as I got older and I was sort of like oh if you read this and you know she was one of the people that had sort of read like 50 shades of grey and stuff like that like years before it suddenly went viral and became a film and yeah she she got me into reading quite a lot and I used to not so much anymore just purely because of life and busyness but I used to get through like a few books a week like minimum um and it was only a few years ago that I I think I got like an audible trial off Amazon and I was like okay like maybe let's try something different and I couldn't tell you what possessed me to choose this book, but I chose to have the audible version of The Girl Next Door by Jack Ketchum. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Anyone who hasn't read that book, um, I can't say that I would recommend it because it's horrific. It's probably the worst, most disturbing thing that I've ever read in my whole entire life to the point where there was one bit that I actually skipped because I was like, I can't listen to this anymore. Um, It made me cry. It made me feel sick. And then I found out that it was all based on a true story. And the book actually has a happier ending than the true story, which was devastating. Um, But, yeah, that kind of kicked off a bit of a love for um, disturbing books because, unlike you, Zoe, I struggle quite a lot with disturbing films. Uh, I have, you know, dipped my toe in a bit more since meeting you. Um, (laughs) But it's still, you know, I'm still not quite there on a Serbian film and things like that. But for some reason, I find it a bit easier to read disturbing books 
Um, so yeah, of late, I think a lot of the sort of disturbing books that I've picked up have probably been based off off your recommendations um, or off you know recommendations from ghouls. Um, some of them I'll thank you for. Some of them. Not so much, <laughs> but yeah, I, de I definitely find it easier to read disturbing things than I do to watch them. So that's where I'm kind of using that to dip my toe into that world a bit more. I mean, firstly, I've got to apologise for some of the stuff I've I've recommended because yeah, I I'm like, if you read this book, it's really good, and then I and then I think about it in hindsight, I'm like. Um, maybe I shouldn't have recommended that to anyone, but there we go. That's, you know, it's how I test friendships out. I'm like, <laughs> let's see how far we can go with this. But picking I mean, up on your... If Zoe ever recommends a book called Womb to you, W-O-O-M, if you haven't read it and she recommends it, politely tell her to fuck off because... <laughs> There are scenes from that that I will never be able to scrub from my brain. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to lie. That Even that book, I, I read it on holiday because obviously, you know, on the beach, cute oh, guys yeah. by the, or by the pool. I'm like, yeah, let's read this. Even I was taking breathers. I was like, do you know what? I might go for a little swim and think about life for a little bit <laughs> and then come back to that. And then the other book I read actually on holiday was um, The Painted Bird, which is an amazing book. And I lent it recently to um, Iona from, from Ghouls as well. And I was like, don't read it by the beach because it's not a summer holiday cutesy kind <laughs> of book. But just kind of going back to your point about um, like smutty books, you, re you reminded me that my dad recommended 50 shades of gray to me which was an interesting thing when I started reading it and he, so he pitched it to me and he went look don't read what it's about I just think you'd really vibe with that book and it's a bit of you and I started reading it I was like oh god this is what my dad thinks of me and I kind of hate my life so yeah shout out to you dad thanks for continuing our very uncomfortable relationship that we have <laughs> I love, I love that it's so much weirder than a mom recommending it as well yeah so, yeah but then your you know my favorite story of all time about you and your family is the watching irreversible over christmas together so nothing surprises me if i'm honest oh yeah bell i don't know if you know about this story but like i was getting into extreme books into extreme horror and my parents were like well you you like extreme let we'll show you something extreme christmas time we sit on the sofa i'm in the middle and my dad's on one side my mum's on the other they put on irreversible and we literally sit in the living room <laughs> and watch it and obviously there's the horrendous scene in the middle and i just look around at them both and i'm like oh my God, this is the worst experience <laughs> of my life. So yeah, that's that's my family. And then what, people wonder why I'm completely fucked up. So there we go. <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. I mean, yeah. runs in the family. So anyway, we digress. Over to Tender is the Flesh. So for me, first time I kind of read T Tender is the Flesh, I have a friend um, and he is Argentinian and he is the most amazing book reader I know in my life. He 
read in January 100 books. I shit you not, 100 books. He is a very good reader. Um, Only does Kindle because obviously you can't have that many books, but he recommended Tender is the Flesh to me um, because I believe the author, I believe she is Argentinian as well. Um, So yeah, the first time I read it, I feel like it was a book that I read and then I put down and I was like, what the fuck? have I just read I want to read this again so I kind of want to know for you both like what was your initial reaction when you read Tender is the Flesh because again kind of your point Liz about like when I watch disturbing films I don't mind I can deal with that but when I read disturbing books I'm I'm the opposite to you I get fucking weirded out I'm like my mind is just so yeah I'd love to know like what what kind of was your first reactions the first time you read it especially starting with you Liz um so I'm pretty sure that I read this because you'd mentioned it or that you'd recommended it um and I kind of went in with a I had an idea of what it was going to be um and obviously I mean on my I know there's like different covers for it but on mine it's it's you know it's got a a quote from days a thrilling dystopia that everyone should read so I went in probably ah yes sound cover um so I went in probably thinking it was going to be a bit less um a bit less twisty I guess is the word that would say um I'm, I'm assuming that we're gonna talk about it in spoilery detail um, but yeah, like, yeah I sort of I read it and I sort of the gore and the reality of what was actually happening in it didn't affect me too much because I think I knew that that was the basis of it um it was more when you get to like the relationship with Marcus and Jasmine, the the head that he takes home, well, that he's gifted, that was when I sort of started to be like, oh, is this going to have a happy ending? Like, is this going to be, you know, is he going to, is he going to like sort of, I knew it wasn't obviously going to be like a love story, but I thought is, you know, is he going to have some sort of redemption here where he, he cares for this person? Um, and then it, for anyone who hasn't read it, I mean, I would stop the podcast here because it really is worth reading and not knowing what happens. But it's sort of split into part one and two, isn't it? And when it ends part one and it sort of says, right, I did it anyway sort of thing. And then the first thing in the, in the next bit of part two is she's eight months pregnant. And I remember putting the book down and thinking (laughs) that is, I don't know why, it just never occurred to me. Even when I knew that he was about to have sex with her, well, not have sex with her, rape her, because let's face it, she was not consenting. Um, But even when I knew that happened, it just, it happened that quickly then, that reveal, that I didn't have time to think about the consequences of it and that shocked me probably more than the shock ending the fact that she was pregnant but I won't say any more and we'll get to the ending when we get to it yes it's it's shocking it's very shocking it's got a lot of 
twists and turns and it's like ugh, what about you Belle? Yeah, so like as I was saying, like um, so I read the book like physically holding the book and um, because it was loaned from the library and like it was one of those things that was like because it was a loan from a library, I knew I had a limited amount of time to read it as well. So I kind of like jumped into it and it was the book that like I read, you know, at home, but also that I would bring with me to you know the office to read on my lunch breaks and stuff like that. And it was one of those books that any the more I got into it the more when I was like reading it, like in say the subway where I was having lunch or whatever, I'd be like, just kind of reading it and just kind of like, should I be reading this book in public? Like, just kind of like, like just there'd be part of me that's just like, two other people, are they walking by? Are they looking at me kind of reading this book about cannibalism, eating my lunch, kind of going, what is, what is wrong with this fucker? <laughs> like that they're able to eat their lunch and no problems reading this cannibalistic book. Um, but yeah, like, I think similar to yourself, Zoe, I think like when I read books in general, I very much kind of like my brain just kind of really just leaps into it and kind of spirals and picks up with it. So the more disturbing a book, the kind of more threat, like little roller coasters my brain goes on. And I'm like, just in, like obsessively thinking about it after reading it. And it was one of those, like the first time I read it through was probably like maybe a year or two years ago so I had to start rereading it for the recording and I didn't get all the way through the end again but um it's one of those books that even though it was over a year ago that I read it it still is one of the ones that I just keep thinking about because it is so disturbing in so many ways but not only is it like disturbing in the sense of like the content but it's also like so beautifully written that it's kind of like I think that's what makes it more impactful like because you know I've definitely read a lot of kind of you know like horror books that are not the best written so they're kind of forgetful once you get through them but this one is just like amazingly written that it makes it more haunting because of how descriptive and great the writing is and um, but yeah it's just one of those books that just really left a lasting impression on me it's kind of one of those ones that you're just like I feel unclean mm-hmm. yeah it leaves it, it that's the and like you said Val you know it's so well written it's it's quite a beautiful book in in the way that it's kind of written and and presents these different concepts and these ideas but at the same same time making you go exactly what you said Belle should I be reading this or should I maybe put it down and I obviously read these on the tube on my commute and I can see people like reading the back of it and I recently read um I'm going to give away all my recommendations before we get to the end here but I recently read the uh sluts by Dennis Cooper reading that on the tube you get some looks people are like excuse me ma'am what the <laughs> fuck is that and I'm like hee 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 sluts here we go um and the cover's quite pornographic as well I was like it's 6 a.m we're doing sluts that is the vibe <laughs> welcome to London babes um I want to talk a bit about the concept of tender is the flesh because I think for me that is the thing so I was a vegetarian for eight years. Now I'm like a huge meat eater. I went, you know, the opposite way. But I think when I read Tender is the Flesh, um, and obviously the book is about cannibalism. It's set in a dystopian future where we can't eat 
animal meat anymore. It's all gone bad. So we're kind of producing um, these humans that are bred very much like cattle is today in order to be used for meat, offal, milk, skin, hair, you name it, it all goes to use. But the concept for me, I find both fascinating and equally really quite close to home so I don't know for both of you like what are your thoughts on this kind of dystopian future and how it maybe like relates to our real world elements when it comes to like the meat industry and um, or yep yeah, I'll jump in and <laughs> like I like reading it I definitely got like a strong sense as well like not only is like obviously the book very much like kind of like a reflection or a commentary on our meat eating industry the world of the revolving around eating meat but I think as well the book was also kind of like in a way like a critique of how capitalism has a way to play in our markets around food like so I think that's definitely going throughout it and so it feels very much like almost like a anti-capitalist critique throughout the book as well underlying the surface but it was interesting because like there's that one specific scene where he's you know describing like the kind of like how the more people I guess accepted special meat the more that like the specific butchers became popular and stuff like that and when he's describing like everything that gets sold in Spanel or Spanel's um, butchers, like how there's like hands, feet, like like all the body parts. It was interesting because it kind of like made me think about the fact that, you know, when we think of like, you know, the meat that we like, you know, buy off the shelves and at butchers um, in very much in Western um, society, it's very much just what's considered like the normally accepted cuts. Like, you know, you don't get those other rare type of cuts and the more odd meats. And then so it was, I thought it was really interesting that when it was talking about, you know, obviously cannibals and eating humans, everything was used. Whereas it seems like with a lot of like our current meat industry, there's a lot of actual waste. There's not everything gets used. And it really makes me think of like, you know, indigenous cultures like in you know all across the globe but like if you say like you know the native americans or the first nations in canada and stuff like that like historically you know if they would hunt an animal every part of the animal gets used like the skin everything there's nothing goes to waste because it's more of a respect for the creature that you've killed and so i thought it was kind of interesting how in this book it was like both showing how kind of cold and callous our current meeting and the meat eating industry is but at the same time using more than what we currently do so it was just like because obviously in a way that was even though they don't use any actual terms for humans and actual body parts it seemed like there was almost a weird haunting more respect for eating humans than there was for eating animals and yeah it was just yeah had my brain going down many different tangents but yeah it was really interesting yeah, I completely agree. It's it's one of those things where I read it and I'm sort of like every time I sort of cringed at any bit of the gore or any of the grossness of it, I sort of found myself, you know, mentally slapping myself and sort of being like, why are you, why are you cringing at that? Why are you disgusted by that? I'm a meat eater. 
that is what happens to animals every day you know it obviously the bits that affected me most as a woman is the talking about um the women being bred and the women being milked and things like that that obviously I can imagine that feeling I, I know I can put myself in that situation and think how horrendous it is but then it's kind of like well you're a hypocrite for being disgusted by that because you eat meat you drink milk you know it's all these things that happen and I get that that's kind of the point of the book um but it's interesting because in the lead up to this recording I've sort of I've listened to a couple of other like book podcasts about this book and um read a few articles and reviews and things about it and there's quite a lot of people who really don't like this because they think it's just shock for shock value gore for gore value obviously we're not the people that ever subscribe to that kind of thing anyway but I just think that's ridiculous like the whole point of it is that you're meant to be disgusted and that it's meant to make you think oh shit yeah that that really does happen that really isn't that far off from what could happen um I think I can't remember whether I read this before or after the pandemic the first time I've recently reread it for this um, but rereading it definitely made me think more about how the pandemic showed how selfish people are um, and how quickly a world like this probably could come into reality because people are selfish and they want what they want. You know, it, it talks in the beginning of the book about how during the transition, a lot of people went vegan. A lot of people, you know, were completely against this idea, the human rights activists um, and the different, you know, foundations and things that had been put together to sort of oppose this, as well as then talking about, you know, the conspiracy theorists that the government has made up this lie about the meat being diseased and all of these sort of things and while it doesn't directly correspond because you know nobody was technically killing each other over covid people who were refusing to wear masks or refusing to stay home or refusing to be vaccinated and things like that at the, especially at the precipice of it you didn't know that that wasn't risking someone's life you didn't know that you weren't going to get on a bus or a train without your mask and eventually lead someone to having COVID and eventually lead to them dying in hospital alone. But that all seems so normal because it's what you want to do and it's, you know, it's your human rights. So it, I don't think it's that far off to think that, you know, people who are like militant about eating meat and spend so much time commenting on vegan posters or eat some bacon and have a burger and, you know, talking about how they would eat anything, no matter what happens. Those are the kind of people that would be doing this shit. Those are the kind of privileged assholes that would absolutely happily eat any one of us if it meant that they got to have their bang up meal and live the life how they are comfortable living it. And I just thought, really interesting, but also kind of terrifying and definitely makes me question my own morals when it comes to eating meat and eating dairy. So.
Yeah, I think I think that's exactly how I felt that I was like, you know, obviously I'm coming out from a perspective of someone that was a vegetarian for a long time. Um, and now, you know, I'm like, give me a steak that's like covered in blood. I, I don't know what happened, but <laughs> clearly I had a, a change in perspective. But I I love that about the book that it does make you kind of question your own morals. And you to your point, Liz, as well, like, you can absolutely see this happening. I was like, it doesn't feel, you know, I think when we often think of like dystopian futures, we're like, oh, it's so far removed from where we are that it's hard to imagine it. Whereas reading Tender is the Flesh, I was like, no, I, I know some people that would definitely be like, oh, a tasty little piece of thigh. Well, don't mind me. I'm going to go for that. And I think that's why it's such a good book because it does to kind of like, tie back to reality and I think you know thinking about some of the the scenes that happen in in the book um there's a lot of disturbing content in here but I think for me one of the parts that I find really disturbing and I'd love to hear both of your thoughts on this is is around the process of it is that when you read kind of the process you know when, he, when he's showing those two people around the factory and he's like and here's the room where they um you know what's the word where they de-skin them I can't remember the no. word they de-skin them and then they take out this bit and they bleed them in a certain way and they have all these processes and you're like that's so I don't know mechanical so processed but again that's exactly what when you go into Tesco's and you buy your fucking you know cheap ass and I'm buying this just FYI this is not me you know the grade a cheap ass chicken I'm like well that chicken went through some shit but that's okay but then in this book it's like as soon as I read that I can't stand it and I feel like that process of it feeling so mechanical just I don't know makes me feel very weird in a way yeah, I think a lot of it as well, like it comes down to the language and things that they that that we're used to. So how Marcus sort of talks about how, you know, they, they don't refer to them as humans, they refer to them as meat. And they don't refer to, you know, when they're selling parts of their body, they don't refer to it as like selling an arm or a leg or eyes or anything. They they refer to it in the same way that they refer now to animals like certain cuts of meat and things like that it all makes it sort of it makes you think even more like oh yeah so if they were packaging it up that way would we be more accepting of it because that's what we're used to whereas obviously the bit that always gets me I think with this again is that they purposely put in a bit about the puppies when he finds the puppies the puppies not the puppies <laughs> exactly. but again and I had the same reaction because I am a massive dog lover like to the point I will almost shed a tear every time I see a dog in the street <laughs> yep <laughs> so to me the thought of them like hurting these little puppies oh that's dreadful that's awful how could they possibly do it but they're doing it to pigs and sheep and cows and I'm eating them it's just it's this same moral dilemma that you, I sort of have every year around whatever time of year it is where everyone suddenly starts posting on social media about the dog market in China and mm -hmm. everyone's thinking off about it and everyone's going nuts and how could you do this, how could you eat dogs and things like this. And it's like, well, actually, in that country, I'm not saying that I agree with it before anyone comes to me, 
<laughs> but in that country, like, that's normal to them. That's how, you know, they've been raised to eat different kinds of meats and things like that. It's packaged up in the same way it is over here. So if we're happy to eat one animal, what separates that from another animal and what others it from other humans we're all animals the only difference is that they don't have a voice to sort of fight back and argue it but that's why in tender is the flesh they have their vocal cords removed so they can't mm -hmm. speak can't argue it they can't fight it and that to me is that is for me personally the most terrifying thing the fact that they have like the thought of being one of these heads and going through all this with no voice, no way to even express your fear or anything, just suffering in this body, not really knowing what's going to happen and not being able to do anything about it. Yeah, it's completely horrifying. I think um, coming back to like, you know, what you were saying as well, Zoe, about the kind of like cold mechanicalness of the process. And like, I think, Again, you know, there was actually there's someone I used to work with in an old job and um, she was Polish and she was talking about how like, you know, she grew up on a farm and growing up on the farm, like part of like growing up there was like, you know, you she would as a as a kid, she would see like, you know, like the chickens, you know, having their heads cut off, like the whole process of like, you know, how the chicken was like as humanely as possible killed, but still killed. And like, you know, then the whole process of going from live chicken to like the chicken that ended up on her plate. And yeah. she was talking about how like, she thinks that's like the massive problem, like with how meat eaters as a society and how we our relationship to our food and that we don't see that process we only just see the meat that's served on the you know packaged up for us ready to buy in the shops we don't actually see it going from living animal to what ends up on our plate and i think it like the book as well does such a good job of again showing how when you introduce that kind of cold mechanicalness it does remove like the person like your respect for what it is that you're consuming like you don't view it as a living sentient being you just view it as meat to be eaten and I think the book does such a good job of kind of correlating that and like I really think that like you know if more people were cognitively aware of the processes that everything goes through to end up on your plate it would I don't think it would necessarily make people like go automatically need to be vegan or vegetarian, but I think it would make people respect what they're consuming more. Cause I think that's our, like, I think that's something the book is possibly like criticizing as well is yeah. our need for consumption. Like we very much are an over consuming society. Like, you know, yeah. that's like, as you said, Liz, with one of the kind of conspiracy theories in the books is that they made up this lie about the animals being bad because of overpopulation and, you know, there wasn't enough resources for everyone on the planet. So instead of like, you know, trying to tackle it in a logical way, they were just like, let's just breed humans and kill, you know, <laughs> do it that way. Um, but I think the book is kind of pointing towards that is that we are an over-consuming society. If, if we like, as part of our education system from the moment we're born to like for the rest of our lives, if we're acutely aware, like other kind of indigenous cultures are, the fact that you are like, consuming a being that was living at one point 
it would probably stop us need being an over-consuming society and there'd be more respect for the food that we eat um but yeah there's so much like there's just so much layers to this book and everything that's going on and yeah it's just like yeah there's just so much going on I could talk in circles about the same points <laughs> yeah th- there's a lot going on and you know I love both of your points there because you know it is it is so much about consumption it is so much about morals and I I do think it's a book that did, you know as you mentioned earlier as well about like it does stick with you in your mind because you're like it's not you know as we've mentioned a couple of disturbing books they stick in my mind but not for the reasons that make me question morals and humanity and like what would I do in that situation I think you know when I read tender is the flesh I was like would I eat special meat you know would I actually go there and to think about that I was like oh that's a bit disturbing actually because I was like probably would end like I don't I think I just would you know it would just become so not normal that you maybe would end up eating special meat I mean I don't know if that's just me but you know I mean I have met some people and I'm like they do look quite tasty (laughs) (laughs) but that's the thing isn't it like surely if we we all wouldn't want to eat like a dog or a cat or the animals that we've typically become to see as pets because we've grown up being taught that they're not food that they are um pets and that we love them and you know they've got to be protected at all costs but if we were brought up you know obviously in this dystopian future at some point you would think then that normal non like bred people would just have babies and there would be a whole new generation of people that would just grow up eating human meat as natural as normal and they wouldn't see anything wrong with it because it's just how the world is maybe if you know if if eating animals had been introduced to us only you know 20 or 30 years ago Mm. you would still have people who would be like oh no it's still not right and stuff but our generation would be like well that's all we know so it's like the new generation of people now I mean my parents I think they understand veganism. I think they have respect for it and stuff. But I can guarantee you there's not a chance on this earth that my dad would ever give up meat, ever. Like, his whole, you know, he's very much a typical middle-aged man who is, your dinner consists of meat, carbs, veg, that's it. So it's like I get that generation, but a lot more of our generation now see the impact on the environment and the cruelty behind it and things like that and a lot of our generation now are going the opposite way Mm. I I don't know it's just like you say there's so many layers to it and that's why it kind of frustrates me to see people writing it off as gore for gore's sake or horror for horror's sake especially because all of the gore that happens in it it's it's not like a process that she's made up to be like a a scary disturbing thing it's not like she's like oh imagine if they did this to people this is a cool like it's not like a saw trap or anything this is the actual process that animals go through all she's doing is replacing those animals with humans yeah 100% because like there was that one specific scene as well I think kind of going back to when he's like describing you know Spinel and her butcher shop and how like you know she reopened it and stuff like that like he he like the author goes into specific detail like through marcus's like 
you know, voice, whatever, but about how, like, you know, they literally took the names for specific cuts of beef and pork and just applied it to the special meat. And it's gotten to the point now where, like, after the transition that you almost, like, forget what they originally would have been because they've just become part of the, what the cuts are now. But you're right, like, people, like, as you said, just writing off the book for horror for horror's sake is just so, I don't know, just really reductive because, again... The process is that like even though the book goes into very specific detail about what's happening to these humans this is the same process that animals that we do consume are going through so it's just like again it's like a bit hypocritical to critique it in that way yeah absolutely so before we get because i want to talk about the twist in a minute but i want to ask you what are maybe some of the like most or the most disturbing description within the book because I have a very specific one and my specific one is and and Liz you mentioned a little bit earlier about the breeding of of women and there is one bit and it's it's like one sentence Mm. in there but they're they're talking about how they breed the women and they have these pregnant ones and that they and I don't know what it is but like dismemberment fucks me up like the thought Mm. of not having my arms and legs really does something to me in films in books and he's talking about this and he says that the pregnant women in order to keep them from like going batshit crazy because they obviously get upset because they know what's going to happen to their baby that once they're pregnant they cut their arms and legs off and they leave them in that state and that image in my head is going to fucking live rent free until I get on my deathbed as a little old lady and I'm like oh remember that nice scene and I think to me I mean there's lots of disturbing content in the book but that particular visualization really just sticks with me because it feels like such a a barbaric act against humanity of like they know that because obviously throughout the book they kind of um obviously they remove their vocal cords the heads are bred they don't see them as humans they see them as me they're very different to as if you took a living breathing human and ate that human but it's like there's there's an element there within that that they obviously understand that these heads do kind of know what's happening because otherwise why would the women lose their shit when they're pregnant to try and protect the baby if they were so like uncognizant of of what's going on and I think that for me was like the most disturbing kind of literally like two sentences description um Mm -hmm. but I don't know about both of you like what was kind of the the bit where you were like that's that's the bit that's gonna just stick in here forever I think for me, I would say the exact same moment, um, especially because I have quite a severe fear of being pregnant, um, which I know probably sounds ridiculous, but it's just something that I've always had. I really don't, this sounds awful, and I apologise to all beautiful mothers out there, but I find like pregnant bellies really gross and the whole process <laughs> of it really like Same. I don't know what it is, it just really freaks me out. So the visual in my head of this like limbless body there with this great bulging belly, one, just the visual of it itself horrendous, but two, the thought of being pregnant and lying there and feeling this baby move around inside you 
and not being able to 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 do anything not be able to even you know it's just it's things like I'm even like sat here now like holding my belly things like that (laughs) you know you can't touch your belly you can't move I know that in hindsight like you've lost your limbs you're about to be killed it's not really the biggest thing but it's things like that that make me feel weird that like they can't if they're in an uncomfortable position with the baby, they can't like move or like relieve themselves in any way. The fact that they're probably going to have to, I mean, it doesn't go into detail about the actual birthing process, whether they give birth or whether they're just cut open, the baby's taken out. I don't know. Either way is horrendous. But the thought of being in labour and having to push out a child with, no arms and legs to sort of support yourself I don't it's really <laughs> it really is like bare minimum in terms of what's going to happen to them because they're going to die but yeah I think as a childbearing person it makes me feel horrendously ill horrendously ill yeah, no, that was also one of, like, because I, as I was reading it, like, rereading it, I was, like, writing down certain quotes of, like, certain lines or moments that stood out to me, and that was literally one of the ones uh, I wrote down, but I think it was, like, not only, as you said, is, like, the actual imagery so, like, evocative and barbaric, like, you can just imagine it, and it's, like, every, you imagine it, and you start to imagine as you're, you went into very descriptive detail there, Liz, about everything associated with that one specific scene, but I think it was also just how, as you said, Zoe, how quick that line is. Like, it's just, there's no, like, it's just matter of fact. Like, the literal full quote is, they pass the barn where the impregnated females are kept, some in cages, others lie on tables. And then just one sentence, they have no arms or legs. Like, it doesn't go into detail. It just says it. And I think that's what makes it hit more. If it had been, like, a paragraph yeah. going into detail, it would have, like, obviously been impactful, but it would have, like, felt like there was more care to it but it was specifically this line to show that there is no care to this it's just part of the process like that was one of the line that was one of the scenes that stood out to me as being just so like like just that sears into your brain like then the other another one that like again just stood out to me because it was just like of course like even in this like dystopian fucking future um there would still be systemic racism in society but there's mm. just that one specific line where um it's you know el gringo like the head of the kind of breeding plant um kind of just has that line where he just says you know some famous designer is making clothes with black leather and come winter demand is going to skyrocket and it just then ha- follows that up with just like one kind of throwaway line about getting stock in from africa and it's just like like of course even in this dystopian future where humans are being bred for consumption there is still going to be systemic racism where black people and are viewed in a different light to everyone else and it's just like that was kind of so haunting because it was also it would be fucking true like it wouldn't matter it would be realistic it's so true but then conversely there is that one moment in the book as well though which like I don't like I think it almost makes that quote I just read out seem even more haunting and chilling but it's that quote where they're talking about how like slavery is illegal like you can't keep bred humans as slaves and how there's like 
you know, goes into this brief moment of like how this family was found with like num- numerous like slaves and all the slaves plus the family were then turned into meat to be eaten. And it was just like how the, all of society were constantly saying the line slavery is barbaric. Like, and it's just kind of like, yeah, there's just, again, so many different fucking layers. But I think, I don't know, I'm going on a little tangent, but there's so much that sears into your brain. But I don't know about yourselves, but I think um the one bit that almost like stood out to me as being like the grossest scene, despite not really being that gross, but it's when Marcos is like describing in like really kind of vivid detail the German that's being shown around the plant, how he's like eating the barbecue meat and how like the sauce is dripping down his mouth and ends up it's on his so white sneakers. Like <laughs> that scene is like just because you're just reading it and you're just like because you obviously realize that he's eating like special meat that's been on the bar but it's just the way it describes the juice like oh no it's just (laughs) no (laughs) it is vile that bit is vile (laughs) and it's like yeah I mean I I think once I was reading this and I was it was at lunchtime I was like I'm gonna get some and then I was like do you know what actually I'm not anymore like maybe i'll have like you know a piece of spinach or something um but you're right there's this it goes into a lot of detail around as you mentioned about you know it's more than just about the cannibalism it's more about you know i i would say themes and things that present in our every day it's just like exacerbated to a point where it's like this is technically happening it's just making it a bit worse um so I want to come into I want to talk about the twist and the end because then I want to get some more horrible recommendations from you both so obviously we we follow Marcus um and he gets gifted as you said Liz he gets gifted this woman this head which at first he's very much like don't know what to do with her then he kind of seems to have almost a very human response to her you know baths her looks after her rapes her which is not a human response just FYI that's not part of it but you know then he gives her a name which is not something you're meant to do then she's obviously she's pregnant and we know Marcus's past him and his wife his wife is living away they had a baby son the son passed away Marcus is now not eating meat there's a lot of depth in in his history and backstory when we get towards the end and we understand that she's pregnant I guess I think again Liz you mentioned it earlier like not seeing the twist of the end coming what did you kind of think about the way that the story progressed into this weird fucked up situation because I also did at one point think like oh it's gonna have a really happy ending like he's gonna save her you know it's all gonna be nice and then fuck me that does not happen so what was your like reaction and what do you think um and feel free to go spoilerific in terms of how this story progresses and kind of the ending it takes us towards would you like to go first Belle? Uh, <laughs> um, well, actually, I think maybe if you go first, because like it was a long time ago that I read the entire book, and I haven't. It's the last sequence because I didn't get up to that on my reread. Isn't as fresh in my brain. <laughs> um, so, if you want to take the last bit first, that would be yeah. appreciated. <laughs> um, so I, I literally read the last couple of 
bits just before we started recording because I wanted it to be quite fresh in my brain. Um, and just before, obviously, it gets to back at the house where she's about to give birth and stuff, there's obviously the issue at the at the at the plant where the scavengers, okay, like the people that can't afford to buy this meat, you know, I assume they're sort of like homeless and they sort of they live on the scraps of of the plant and you know and something's happened and they've turned over one of the transport vans and they've they've killed one of the drivers and they've you know stolen all the meat and stuff and it's this whole big dramatic thing about how you know the woman who works at the plant who you kind of you get snippets of her and I just always imagine her as like this nice kind sort of like middle-aged woman you know your typical like protectionist who goes to everyone and brings everyone a cup of coffee in the morning she calls everyone love and sweetheart and she's like oh you know it's dreadful these horrible people they they killed the driver and he was only 30 and he's so young and he's so lovely and blah 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 and all this and I'm sort of sat there thinking well it's how is it different to you know what you're doing in there every day it really doesn't matter um but it kind of goes from like right we'll sort that out don't worry we've got a plan straight into we're back at the house the head is obviously gone into labor and the bit that kind of threw me for a loop is that he calls his ex-wife and gets her to come over because I'm then thinking this woman's going to go fucking nuts. Like surely she is going to hit the roof. You have cheated on her, first of all, with someone who can't even consent, like with someone who is illegal to have sex with. You know, it's a big thing. He could be murdered for this. She could be murdered for assisting in any of this. And when I started to get the pit in my stomach was when she didn't react that way. And she was very much like, she even calls her um, love, I think. it's I think it's love or something when she's, you know, she's trying to get her to push and she's like, come on, you can do this and I'm not going to let anything bad happen to you and all this sort of thing. And I'm sat there thinking, oh, God, how how is this going to go? Like, surely she's not just going to be okay and this supportive wife and stuff. But then I'm also thinking she's been thrown into this situation. As far as we know, she's a normal human woman who's lost her child maybe she also has empathy for this poor girl maybe she will you know maybe she will take the girl away with the baby and she'll look after them and he'll get murdered and and then it just doesn't it just it and it happened (laughs) way quicker than I remembered it happening as well literally within a couple of pages within a couple of lines the baby's here they're, they're rejoicing that, you know, this is our baby boy. You're such a beautiful baby boy. And then it's club over the head. And the line that she says something about why, why would you do that? She could have given us more children. And my heart just sank. <laughs> and I genuinely, I feel, I almost feel like I'm getting emotional just talking about it because I'm just like the, the cruelty in that one line that you've just watched this poor woman who has quite clearly been raped and kept captive in this house has just given birth. The there's lines about how she's reaching out for the baby. Her arms are in the air and she's hurting herself trying to get to the baby. 
he clubs her over the head in front of you and your only thought is she could have given us more children. It just, it's the most horrendous thing I've ever read, I think, even worse than any, like you said earlier, Zoe, like you can read disturbing books that stay with you because, oh, there was a really gross scene where someone did something really gross and all that will, you know, stay branded in my brain forever. But to me, like that, her reaction is the cruelest thing in the whole book that she just immediately, someone who's lost a child as well, that she could think only of herself and only of the possible children that she could have had rather than the thought of this poor woman losing her child. Yeah, just horrendous, blew my mind. But then also, you know, you have the 30 seconds to sort of be like, what the fuck? And then you're like, oh, my God, that was so good. I have to recommend this to everyone. Everyone must feel this way. And yeah, loved it. It's great. It's horrendous, but great. Yeah, like it is so haunting. And I think you're right that it's her reaction is the kind of most haunting part of it. Like that is the what stays with you. And also because, like, you know, the character of Cecilia was like, also like a nurse and you kind of have this kind of in your brain of like nurses as incredibly empathetic caring people and then it was just that moment of nope it's like could have what how I could have benefited from it and I don't know about yourselves but like for me when I was kind of like because like throughout the book I definitely think and it's kind of like similar to what you said about like the scavengers so they're almost like used to represent uh like almost like a lower class of people type thing like like homeless people or something I think a lot of what this book is doing throughout is very much like kind of like I guess a commentary on like capitalist society but it also is a commentary on like you know class structures in society and I kind of think in a way I don't know but like the whole thing what goes through with like Jasmine after you know being raped and then being impregnated and then like you know giving birth like and then basically Marcos and Cecilia going this is our baby like taking the baby for themselves in a weird way it kind of like I don't know if it was like the author's intention or not but the way I read it it kind of like was almost like is this like a criticism of like you know modern day like surrogacy like you know in the sense that like Mm. a lot of it is wealthy white western women using like you know women of color from like impoverished countries or even just like you know lower classes as surrogates for babies and you know even though there's obviously no like in the case of jasmine like you know rape or anything like that involved like at least in the kind of above board surrogacy but it kind of felt like to me is like is this the author in a way kind of commenting on that type of thing of like how you know there is like a lower class of woman that is just viewed as incubators for the wealthy upper upper elite and like that was something that just like again like after reading the book was just something my brain spiraled on I was just like if there's nothing to suggest that it is what the author's commenting on but it's the only thing I could think of no it's it's definitely now that you've said that Belle like it's absolutely a commentary on that and it it, and it does feel like that because you know we know that Marcus is is wealthy he's top of his game like he's obviously earning quite well um but yeah just to kind of echo both of your points I think the ending of the book it's very abrupt 
and it is it's literally like I think it's about four pages three pages that kind of final thing it's not dragged out it's very manner of fact it's very to the point and I think the whole book is very much like that and I think that's why it's so disturbing because it just kind of goes bam 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 this this is how it fucking is guys and you're like Mm. oh okay thank you very much (laughs) I've ruined my own day but again as as you both said also an amazing book so tender is the flesh I feel like we all clearly recommend this but obviously comes with a lot of um, <laughs> with the caveats <laughs> yeah some caveats trigger warnings content warnings like don't tread lightly with this one so I want to ask you both um for a couple of quick book recommendations um feel free to say them both at the, at the same time we're going to do a, a quick fire recommendations bell what would you recommend um people read for some more disturbing literature to enlighten their, their day <laughs> well like oddly enough like of all the books that I've kind of read like this is kind of takes the cake as being the most disturbing book like so I don't think I have any equally disturbing books I could recommend but um well I guess it depends on I guess how you would define disturbing but one book I would definitely recommend which is like less in the horror vein and more in the like kind of thriller vein is and I'm actually just going to grab it because it's close to me but if nobody has read Razorblade Tears by S.A. Cosby I would highly recommend it like basically the premise of the book is that the main character his name is Ike Randolph and he's kind of like a he's basically this black elderly man who used to be like involved in kind of gangs and stuff like that as a younger person but now he's much older he's like straight and narrow and his son was gay and his his son and the son's husband were basically murdered for being gay and now he's raising his granddaughter and effectively him and the husband's like his son's husband's um, dad the two of them are these old grizzled men who basically go on this mission to get seek punishment for the people that killed their sons and it's kind of this like really haunting book in the sense that both these characters like learn to kind of love their sons after death so it's like really kind of like commentary on like how a different generation views queerness and yeah it's there's just lots of haunting imagery and lots of gory violence as well and so I definitely recommend that and then the other one that I'd quickly recommend um if people aren't um, aware of it it's um is Paul um Tremblay's The Cabin at the End of the World, which was turned into Knock at the Cabin, the recent mm-hmm. M. Night Shyamalan film. Um, the book is definitely more haunting and disturbing than the film is. Um, but yeah, I'd recommend those two books the most if you're looking for like, not necessarily as disturbing as Tender as the Flesh, <laughs> but books that will kind of have your heart racing in different ways. I have not read either of those. They sound amazing. So more on the TBR list. And what about you, Liz? Well, funnily enough, one of my recommendations is also a Paul Tremblay book. Um, I I do have Knock at the Cabin, um, but I haven't read it yet. And therefore, I haven't watched the film yet because I'm determined to read it before I watch the film. Um, but the reason that I brought that is because I read his other book, A Head Full of Ghosts. Um, again, it's not massively disturbing in the terms of tender is the flesh or anything like that. 
Um, but it's basically, it follows this family um, where the 14-year-old daughter begins to display signs of schizophrenia. Um, and then it sort of descends into this thing where they start to think that she's possessed. Um, and then they end up finding themselves sort of being the reality stars of like a TV show called The Possession. Um, and it's all about how like the younger sister sees it all and remembers it all and how it took place. You know, it's sort of two timelines. So it's like now when she's older um, and you don't really know what happened to her family, you sort of hear it's a bit like Haunting of Hill House where you kind of like you get some bits from her side now that she's older and then it flashes back to things that happened when she was younger and there's this whole sort of it's a typical possession-y sort of thing where it's like is it possession is it mental illness is it something else entirely but it's thrown in with you know a camera crew living in their house and all these different things um again not necessarily disturbing but quite frightening really like gripping um really really enjoyed that um especially if you have read knock at the cabin and you haven't read that i would give it a go um, my other recommendation, however, came from Miss Zoe Rose Smith herself. Oh, God, here we go. She <laughs> uh, is absolutely disturbing. And 100,000% please read the trigger warnings because it doesn't take much time to get horrible. Um, it is Exquisite Corpse by Poppy Z. Bright. So good. So Just good. Just a just a quick quick story about this one. Um, I recently went on like a little camping date with the person that I'm seeing at the moment, and we went to Hay on Wye, which is a lovely little town in UK, um, which is a book town. It's just full of like lovely little coffee shops and bookshops and things. Um, and we went into this one bookshop, and my my lovely man brought a self help book about you know going off into the woods and finding yourself and all this sort of thing and I bought exquisite corpse um to say it's the polar opposite would be an understatement um it's basically about a serial killer who targets young gay men um he has a lot of perverse desires which he explains in great detail um it's sort of his story about how he escapes prison and goes back to that sort of life but then there's also like another story about like a, a playboy in America who also has desires for for young men um yeah there's I can't really say much more than that but <laughs> it's it's real nasty like real nasty there is a lot of sexual assault and murder and torture and it's very descriptive and very fluidy shall we say there's lots of fluids um so yeah but I'm actually really enjoying it I'm only about halfway through um because it's not really something that you can casually read in public I did try and read a bit of it on the train once um and then I felt great shame and concerned that someone looking over my shoulder might read something and report me. So, yeah. But I would still recommend it. 
it honestly, I can't wait till you get to the 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 climax of that because um it's it's incredible. That book is it is really fucking fucked up, but it's uh, it's one of my favorite books. Like I've already read that a few times. Um <laughs> somehow. Um I will give a couple of recommendations. Which, oh god, I, I don't know if you should be honest. I'm do you know what? Now I've got them up, I'm like, I actually don't think I should recommend either <laughs> of these. But hey, look, you know, I I'm not responsible for anyone. Um so the first book I'm gonna recommend is a book called Tampa, uh, which is by Alyssa Nutting which is a really interesting story. So about a female paedophile. Um, it's, it's already gone downhill from here. It's about a female paedophile. She works in a school and she becomes um, obsessed with like a 14-year-old boy in her class and they have an affair and it goes where you can expect it goes. But I I love... Um, I love these books that look at like love is not the right one. I love these books that look at paedophilia from a female perspective because I feel yeah. like we're so often used to seeing it as men are paedophiles. So I highly recommend that book. Again, big trigger warnings, big content warnings. And then the other book that I feel is really complimentary um, to Tender is the Flesh is a book called Cows by Matthew uh, Stokoe. Um, I genuinely nearly vomited reading this book. It's revolting. Uh, it's very similar to Tender is the Flesh. It's about a guy that lives with his mum. There's a lot of language in here that is... Woo, I've never heard the word cunt used so much in my life. Um, and he yes. works in a in a factory where they farm these cows. And it's, it is, like, vile, the things they do to the cows. There is one scene, I'm not even going to talk about it, but, my God, like, if you read cows, like, prepare yourself, because even I was not prepared for that. Like, I don't think I would read the book again that's how horrible it was so yeah go read cows have a good time you know <laughs> enjoy a lot Tampa has been on my list for a while because of you um so I'm looking I'm, forward to that one I feel I'm like apologizing always... in advance <laughs> no, but I feel like that one excites me because like you said love is the wrong word but I feel like in the horror community we're always fighting for women to get stories where they are just the villain for being the villain because mm -hmm. they are fucked up not because it's a revenge thing or not because they were wronged by a man and now they're you know killing men or anything like that we always it's like women always have a reason to be fucking nuts and sometimes it i just want to read a book about a woman who's just horrible because she's horrible like with so many men's stories so. absolutely we can be we can all be horrible and I love that well you thank too. you thank you both for joining me and talking about some <laughs> disturbing things you know it's, it's a pleasure for me it genuinely is um before you go I know we mentioned it in the beginning but just a little reminder Belle where can people find you 
Yeah, um, so I'm Mixbell Morrigan, so that's M-X-B-E-L-M-O-R-R-I-G-A-N. That's on Twitter, Instagram, all the socials, and my link tree is in my bio wherever you find me. So basically go there and you'll find me everywhere else. And then my last kind of parting thing is just one more quote that I did write down from Tender as a flesh because it was just like very haunting in a really weird way. But it was just that one bit where... um. Spinell just goes, I don't understand why um, we consider smiles attractive when someone smiles, they're showing you their skeleton. <laughs> it was just like, oh, <laughs> my God, I never thought of that before. But wow, that is haunting imagery. <laughs> and yeah, that's my quote for the day. <laughs> I love it. You're right. That is <laughs> now I look at people and I'm like, please don't smile. I don't want to see a fucking skeleton. I'm good, babe. Thank you very much. Um, and Liz, where can people find you? Um, so you can find me on all social media at kill Liz, kill underscore Liz, L-I-Z-T. Um, and obviously at Ghouls Magazine. That's where I am mostly. And please go and follow Ghouls Mag. I was just, I just opened Exquisite Corpse in the hope that I would just randomly find a quote to give, because I wasn't prepared for this. But the first thing that I saw is gay horror killer missing exclamation point so it's not quite as beautiful and you know well thought out as spells but i'll take it it, it does to be honest it does kind of sum up the book um <laughs> which i do do you know what now you've just remind me one last recommendation if you like exquisite corpse in the miso soup um is by the guy i can't remember his name rui murakami or something he wrote audition as well also a, an amazing like queer um gender fluid super disturbing book as well so I'm just going to throw that as because I haven't got a quote so I'll throw that <laughs> in um you can find me on socials that's over with a shotgun uh also follow us at ghouls magazine on all of your favorite social media sites um if you like what you hear please give us a like subscribe rate whatever you want to do on whatever platform, all of that shebang. Um, and as a reminder, you know, if you love the Ghouls podcast episodes, which you should because we have amazing guests like Belle and Liz, um, not so much me because I'm just ruining everyone's day as always, you can become a Ghouls member for just $4.99 a month. So you can check the show notes or head to ghoulsmagazine.com. Um, and yes, I've been your host. I've been joined by the wonderful Belle and the wonderful Liz. Um, and until next time, Keep it ghoulish. Mm-hmm.